He's always got his security blanket with him, a little blue blanket. He's always got it, and his sister Lucy gets on him about it. Why do you need that stupid blanket, you know? And and Linus, uh, you know, he he does a variety of things with that that particular blanket. And so I was thinking about it. I had a I had a blanket that got me through my childhood, as a matter of fact. And uh, let's see here, where is that? Yeah, here it is. This is. Uh, this is the one that got me through my childhood. I don't know who made it for me, but but somebody made this for me when I was very small, and and I kept it. and And I'm not sure I really used it as a security blanket, but it was always the one that was on my bed. You know what I mean? And so uh, now Duke, my youngest, he he uses it the same way. He's always got it with him, always on his on his bed. And so uh, this was the blanket that kind of got me through my childhood. And then I had one that got me through college because they're about the same. And so so I I, I got this. And my grandmother, I believe, gave this to me, and uh, and so this is the one that got me through through college. And so there you have it. Um, but you know, this one this one was always in my dorm room or or in my apartment or wherever. And so uh, you know, it's something about that. We have little things that we keep with us that make us feel as if everything is okay or everything will be okay. You know, as a kid, it's kind of cute to have a little security blanket. You know, maybe you've had a child or a grandchild or somebody that you've been babysitting or or a nephew or a niece or somebody, and they, they've got a blanket with them all the time. It's cute when they're little, and then what? you got to try to get rid of that thing, right? <laughs> Ain't so cute at that point because they grow attached to it. It becomes a part of them. It's something they rely on. I don't know that any of the grown-ups, if you will, in our room today has a security blanket, literally, that you have with you this morning. But I do believe that our security blankets just kind of change as we get older. I'm not sure they ever totally go away. And as we get older, it's interesting to me that sometimes we even get more fearful than we were as kids. Sometimes the kids, you know, we have fears of the dark or fears of, of different bugs or things like that. And maybe some of those things haven't gone away, but they're almost surface fears. As we get older, our fears seem to deepen. As we get older, what's happening on the surface goes to a different level. And maybe we've developed some fears today and some coping mechanisms, some security blankets, if you will, to try to get through life because we are scared to death. And my guess is that in a room full of folks, there are a lot of people here, maybe a room full of people who are going through life scared, terrified. Whether those surface fears have manifested themselves deeper or not, it's often the case that our fears can dictate everything that we say and do and think. And we're carrying around blankets, if you will. Things to help us cope. Things that make us feel like our fears are kept at bay. Things like perfectionism and anxiety and OCD and appearance or negative self-talk. We're doing nice things for other people or anger or whatever it may be. We're carrying those things around so that our fears can't affect us. And my question is, what are we so afraid of? The scripture that Linus referenced is in Luke chapter 2. If you got a Bible handy, if you want to turn there with us this morning, Luke is over in the New Testament. It's the third book in the New Testament. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, would highly encourage you to download what's called the Bible app, uh, maybe listed under U version. 
But we each week, you'll see the little code at the bottom of the sermon outline. We each week put online some notes so you can follow along with. You can take some notes there and then email it to yourself if you'd like to hang on to that. We certainly put a little outline in the bulletin just for for reference. Uh, I was looking through some sermon notes that I had taken from years and years ago, and I've still got notes that I took as a teenager from sermons that I listened to. And and those things I think can still speak to us years later. So I would encourage you to follow along this morning, get to the scripture, however it is that you can. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look beginning in verse 8 and and through just verse 12 this morning. Look what it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior who is Messiah, or Christ, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Now, Linus references, of course, and quotes the King James Version, which is the more classic version that we probably know from that story. And when he says, suddenly, suddenly the the angel of the Lord stood before them. The angel, this messenger from God, appeared. And it doesn't mean just appeared far off. The glory of the Lord when it's shown around them doesn't mean that way off somewhere in the distance. It literally means all around them. You've been to the theater, and they play the little thing at the beginning, and they shoot the balls out, and then it says, all around you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's the way the glory of the Lord was. It's surround sound. It's everywhere. That's what they were experiencing. This glory was not off in the distance, but all around them. And what does it say? They were terrified, you think? Random shepherds, middle of a field, in a random town, keeping watch over random sheep, and lo, the angel of the Lord appears. The glory of the Lord shines all around them. And as the King James says, they were sore afraid. Whatever in the world that means. It means they were terrified. Scared to death. What were they so afraid of? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, every time God showed up, it terrified people. Every time the glory of the Lord was somewhat visible, it scared people to death. In fact, when God said to the Israelites, I'm going to be on the mountain, what did the Israelites say to Moses? You go for us. We don't want any part of that. You go ahead. God's presence might have been comforting for them in the fire and the clouds, sort of off in the distance a little bit. But when the presence of God, the glory of God was around people, it was terrifying. And in the Old Testament, only the high priest was allowed to go into the presence of God. And so when God would show up, it was a terrifying event for people. And the shepherds here experienced something just like that. They knew the stories. They knew the scripture. They were scared to death. They were terrified of the glory of the Lord. What are we afraid of? What are our deepest fears? I did a little research and found the the list of deepest human fears. Now, these are not things like fear of snakes. Anybody? Uh huh. Should be number one and two and three and yeah. And some of you are saying, "What's to be afraid? Come on!" Or fear of spiders, or of just bugs in general, or fear of the dark, or anything like that. These these are deep fears. Now, some of those things are manifest. The fear of snakes is manifest because of a fear of death, right? But that's uh, anyway. So here are some of the deepest fears. See if you can relate to some of these. One of the fears was losing your freedom. 
Freedom, of course, doesn't mean the same thing to everybody, and it can change sort of over time. But, but the bottom line question is, what would you do? How would you live? How would you react if you were to lose power completely to control your own life? I mean, you, you have no power. You could not control the outcome of your family, your work, your health. You're just completely at the mercy of other people. For some, that's a deep fear. I, I can't, I cannot imagine losing that kind of freedom. There's also the fear of the unknown, which sort of manifests itself in like the fear of the dark and things like that. But this is the fear that keeps people from making decisions because they don't know what's going to happen. And so, well, if I, uh, you know, I, I, I analyze it to death. I'm just not sure. We just talk it to death. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, so, so what we do is we make, we let other people make decisions for us, which is what? A loss of freedom. So now we've lost our freedom and uh, we've, we're fear, fearful of the unknown. This is also kind of the fear that keeps people People from committing, whether it's to an organization, to a relationship, uh, to a job, whatever it may be, they, they, they're fearful. They don't know what's going to happen. There's also the fear of pain. I've not met anyone who really likes pain. I, I, not yet. Uh, I know a few few people who are a little bit off. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe they just like pain. I don't know. You know, there's a reason though. We take Advil for a headache. And we take, you know, we take painkillers after surgery. There's a reason because pain is uncomfortable. Now, pain, of course, can help us because it lets us know there's an injury, but we don't typically seek it out. We, we're scared of it. There's also the fear of disappointment. Something or someone has let you down. And many of us today have walls up around us so that we'll never be disappointed again by people that we can't trust. You've been through those difficult relationships. You've been through those difficult jobs. And people have let you down. What they promised, they didn't do. And you might not admit it, but you're terrified of being disappointed again. So you just kind of, your security blanket is to keep everybody at arm's length. If I do that, then I can't be disappointed. I can't be let down. There's also the fear of misery. And this is essentially, well, I can't provide for myself or my family. We don't have our basic needs met. And that's a desperate feeling, the absence of things. For many, of course, it's physical. For some, it's emotional. You don't feel loved by anybody that actually matters to you. And this is something nobody wants to experience, but many of you here may, may know what misery feels like. There's also the fear of loneliness. This is not the fear of being alone. It's the fear of loneliness. Because even the most introverted person, do you know what introversion and extroversion actually is? An extroverted person is the person that draws energy from being around other people. The introverted person is a person that draws energy from being by themselves. But even the most introverted person who really recharges by just being alone cannot go through life completely alone. And we might joke about not wanting to have anybody around because you know what? Everywhere there's people, there's problems. But we might joke about that, but loneliness is different. Loneliness means nobody cares. Loneliness means nobody notices you. Loneliness means nobody encourages encourages you. Nobody knows you. Nobody truly loves you. There's also the fear of ridicule or criticism. I'm going to be honest with you. This, this, one, this is a huge one for me. I don't like criticism. Anybody here like criticism? Okay, nobody willing to admit that you're crazy. Okay. Well, I love criticism. Bring it on. I just like being told I'm terrible. Oh, that's so good. Nobody likes criticism. It means you've done something wrong or you can't please everyone or that you're not perfect or you missed something. You dropped the ball somewhere. And this is the reason, I think, why so many incredibly talented people, incredibly gifted people, make nothing of that gift and that talent. Because what if, what if you do your best? I mean, you even do it just perfectly and somebody still says something that you could have done better. Really? You don't even know what you're talking about. 
You ever had that conversation in your head, but you just smile? But thank you. You know, that's that's good feedback, right? <clears throat> this fear of criticism, fear of ridicule, is the reason why so many people just don't try. Just do the minimum. Just stay out of the way. Following the fear of criticism is the fear of, of rejection. Because this is criticism with follow-through. Not only are they criticizing you, but now they're shunning you or pressuring you or you're being called out or talked about or you've been fired or threatened or whatever it is that needs to happen for you to conform to whatever ideas and opinions and actions other people are taking. The fear of rejection drives so many of us to do what we do. We just can't deal with the rejection of our family, our friends, or of society. It's interesting to me that I think this fear of rejection is what explains how in a very short period of time, Social media has completely changed our culture. You'd better get on board with whatever is trending, whatever is popular, whatever seems to be the wave of thought, or else you will be shamed and rejected by the entire world. That's the threat. And then there's there are two. The second deepest fear, the, the, second, the, the one that's number two on the list, is the fear of death. The fear of death... You know, the fear of dying causes some people not even to talk about it, not even to mention even the very thought of it. And for others, the fear of death paralyzes them. You don't know what to do because I'm running out of time. Or for others, it means that you just live recklessly or you take everything really seriously. And then the number one fear, you might want to take a guess, the fear of what? Anybody know what the number one fear is? I haven't mentioned it. <laughs> Public speaking, that's right. I think that would be the, the fear. Well, it would be included in this, Chris. It's the fear of failure. The fear of failure listed as the number one fear, even beyond the fear of death. Isn't that interesting? Some people would rather die than fail. Hey, I'm dying. Just don't let me fail. Okay, don't let me fail. This fear rules everything that some people do. We do and we don't do certain things because we're scared to death of failing or appearing to fail. Because failure means what? We're worthless. We're useless and hopeless. And for some, all they see is their failure. They look back on their lives and they don't see anything good they did. They just see all their failures. No matter how hard they tried, they failed in some area. No matter what they do, they can't succeed. And so they get to the point where they say, why bother? I'm, I'm, I'm no good anyway. And so here, here we are, all of us together this morning, living in our fears, most likely, one or more of those, carrying around our little security blankets of perfectionism and anger and OCD and, and, and self-protection and, and all these things that we try to avoid. And what are the first words in the King James that the angel says to the shepherds when they were terrified? The first two words, what, are they, what does the angel say? Fear not. In other updated versions it says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Do you realize that's the message of God throughout Scripture? Fear not, he says to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to the prophets, to the shepherds, to the disciples, to the early church, to those facing persecution in the book of Revelation. Fear not to all who call on him for salvation. Fear not. How were the shepherds not to fear when they were face to face with what they were most afraid of, the glory of God? 
How are we to fear not when we're living in the fear of rejection, the fear of criticism, the fear of failure, the fear of loneliness, all those fears that overwhelm us? How are we to say, okay, just fear not? That sounds real easy for you to say. I believe it's tied up in what the angel says next. For what? Behold, I bring you good news. Good news. Fear not. Why? First, because there's good news. The next words, don't be afraid. Why? Look at the gospel instead. Look at the gospel. Shepherds, don't fear the glory of God around you. Welcome it. Be joyful because of what it's bringing to you. Don't assume the worst. Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I want to be honest with you, and, and this is a confession. This is also a challenge to myself. We as believers in Christ, we have no reason to be pessimistic. I don't, listen, I don't care in a good way what's happening in our world, in our country, what's happening in our lives, whatever it may be. We have no reason to be pessimistic. Why? Because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that mean you're always going to have a good day? No. If you always have a good day, you're probably not paying attention. Right? You're out there somewhere, but you're not in reality. But does that mean that overall we can have a life that looks forward because of what we look back on? Absolutely. Behold, the angel says, the good news. We live in fear. We live there when we don't know or don't understand or don't believe God's truth. You think about what your fear is doing to you. Stealing your joy, your happiness, your peace, probably your sleep, maybe your health. Your emotions, your relationships, your faith. I mean, it's killing us, right? What's the alternative? Fear not, for behold, look at the good news of Jesus Christ. What's the good news about? Great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. The message from the angel was a message of grace. To this evil and arrogant world, there was grace. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy for what? Unto you is born this day. Unto you. What does that mean? Something has happened to you you couldn't manufacture. Our world and our, and our, our philosophy is we'll figure it out. We will make it a better place to live. I'm just trying to make the world a better place. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I just think, well, good luck with that. I mean, honestly, you know. Okay, just make the world a better place. Do you realize that we can't make the world a better place? Do you understand that? I don't mean that to be facetious. I don't mean that to just for effect. We cannot make the world a better place. When, when, when the shepherds were told, unto you, it, they, the angel didn't say, hey, guys, look, you know what? Stop. Stop. Just cheer up. Go out and do some nice things for people, and you'll make the world a better place, and you'll feel better about yourself. Okay, that's your problem. You just don't serve people enough, and if you just get out there and do some stuff, everything's going to be fine, guys. The angel didn't say that, right? The angel said, fear not, because unto you something has happened. Something from the outside is broken in and fixed your problem. You can't conquer your fear by yourself. We can't fix the world on our own by ourselves. It took Jesus coming from the outside into our world. To prove that God is not unaware, but He's sympathetic. That God is not unloving, but He's compassionate. God is not unreachable, but He's available. Unto you, something has happened, and that's our hope. The great joy comes not from within us, but from outside of us as Jesus breaks in. 
Unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior. There is no greater cause for this great joy than our salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. A Savior who is what? Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Christ there means Messiah. That means anointed one. The, the three roles that were anointed in the Old Testament were the role of prophet, of priest, and of king. Do you know what roles Jesus fulfilled all wrapped up in himself? Prophet, priest, and king. What did the prophet do? Spoke on behalf of God. What did Jesus do? Spoke on behalf of God. What did the priest do? The priest went to God on behalf of the people, right? Made a sacrifice so that God's wrath toward their sin would be satisfied for another year. What did Jesus do? Offered himself as the sacrifice on our behalf before God so that our sins would be forgiven once and for all, for all time. No need to repeat his sacrifice again so that God's wrath once and for all would be satisfied and done away with toward sin. Do you realize that after Jesus, we have no need for anyone else to go on, on, on our behalf to God? I can't do it for you. Love to. Can't do it for you. Can't do it for my own children. We stand before God with one person between us, and it's not me and it's not you, it's Jesus Christ, and praise God that it is. Because on my own, if I were to go to Jesus on your behalf, or to go to God on your behalf, what would He do? He'd laugh me out of the room, right? Who are you? You're just as sinful as the rest of the people. You're trying to say, hey, would you forgive them because of how I've lived? Listen, y'all, I, I, I love you, and I hope that you love me. But if you, if you think that how I'm living and my perfection somehow is going to get you something with God, we're all in trouble. I'm just going to tell you. Because I sinned this morning. I'm going to lie to you. I got here and I was complaining, frustrated about something. I was, I sinned this morning. So I'm sorry, but I can't represent you before God. Now I can tell you, thus saith the Lord, Jesus Christ and He alone can represent you before God. I hope you receive that message. But you get where I'm coming from? So He is our priest. Not only that, but He's the King. He's the ruler. When Jesus first appears on the scene, He begins to teach His disciples. He sets out His law in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. The king giving his orders. Here's how things will go in the kingdom of God. He says, repent for what? The kingdom of God is near, is is at hand. Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so they say, fear not, because there's great joy. There's good news. There's Christ the Lord. And as we see his life unfold... One by one, as Jesus' life unfolds, as His death happens, as His resurrection happens, when He sends the Holy Spirit, as we've seen His Word touch our lives, one by one our deepest fears are addressed. You fear losing your freedom? Guess what? In Jesus, the loss of freedom is actually a great gain. He says in Luke chapter 9, whoever loses his life will save it, will gain it. You fear the unknown? Guess what? In Jesus, all of the unknowns are made certain. What does the future hold? He will return. What if things change? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What if I'm not in control? He's still got the whole world in His hands. What if I don't know what to do? He is the way, the truth, and the life. What if, what if, what if? Jesus, that's what if. You fear pain? In Jesus, pain has a comforter. Because of the Holy Spirit sent from Jesus, we have a comforter even now in our physical and emotional and spiritual pain. You fear disappointment? In Jesus, we have one who never disappoints. 
No, He doesn't do things our way, does He? But His ways are perfect. And in Jesus, we have one who overcomes our propensity to disappoint others. You fear misery? In Jesus, misery is reversed. He came for those in misery, He said. To lift them by His death, His resurrection, and His Holy Spirit. To lift them to a joy and to a peace that no amount of health or wealth could ever bring. You fear loneliness? According to Jesus, you are relevant simply because you exist. You are loved just because He created you. And you are not ignored. His thoughts, the Bible tells us, His thoughts toward us are more numerable than the sand on the beach. And according to Jesus, He will never leave you, never forsake you. You fear ridicule from this world that doesn't agree with what you have to say about the Lord? Guess what Jesus said in Matthew 5? Blessed are you when they hurl insults at you. You fear rejection? Jesus says that He no longer calls us His enemies, but His friends. Jesus proved by His death that we are not rejected by God, but we are infinitely and unconditionally loved by Him. You fear death? You think life maybe is just a slow march to an inevitable grave? Not if you know Jesus. Because He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He Himself was called the resurrection and the life. And He didn't stay dead after He was crucified. He has conquered death. You fear failure? you realize that the life of Jesus, a perfect life, proves that God knows we will fail? you understand that? Do you know that the death of Jesus proves that we can't make up for our own failures and God knows it? Do you know that the resurrection of Jesus proves that our failures won't defeat us and can't keep us down? So, maybe coming up, when you see Charlie Brown Christmas... When you, when you see Christmas plays, when you hear the Christmas stories, when you watch Elf, or It's a Wonderful Life, or Christmas Vacation, you know, all those classics, I hope you'll remember what the story is really all about. My, my guess, as I said from the beginning, is that we probably have a room full of people who are scared. And you've got your blanket. Whatever it may manifest itself in, you've sort of got it. you got it over your shoulder. You're carrying it around. You're trying to make sure that whatever you fear most can't get to you. Do, you. do you know what Linus did when he got to the part where the angels are speaking? You ever notice this in a story? He dropped the blanket. He said, what, fear not. And he puts the blanket down and he says, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. He dropped the blanket in the presence of God. And folks, we can go through life and we can leave here and we can sing Christmas carols and we can hear the Christmas story and completely miss the point. Jesus didn't come so that your security blanket could be wrapped up tighter around you. He came to rip it off of you and replace it with himself. I don't know what your security blanket is and what you fear most, but it will control you and ultimately it will destroy you.
if you don't drop the blanket and open up your arms and say, Lord Jesus, I have no hope but you. I am scared to death. I need you. I need you in this moment right now. And if we don't say that every moment of every day, we're going to pick that blanket back up and we're going to miss the point of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And you'll be controlled by all your fears. Let me encourage you to drop the blanket. To receive the grace of God that only Jesus can bring. To open yourself up and say, Lord, I, I've been protecting myself for a long time. At least I thought I was. And today, it's time to drop the blanket and to walk with you.